0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLearner.com. All right, well, why don't you turn your scriptures to Romans one? We don't have to figure all that out. Let's go to the word Romans one. I'm going to read again. We we left off kind of kind of mid section. We we I divided up these this last part of chapter one into a two. Uh, I want to start again at verse eighteen, but we're really going to be focusing on. 24 to the end. While you're getting there to Romans 1, we've got a picture here from Keegan this week. Keegan's name was on the roster. I do it. You know, who hasn't been up here for a while? They turn it in, and this is Keegan. And I had to make sure this morning, Keegan, what the the right interpretation was. This is God battling the devil in hell, and there's this battle going on, and who wins? God wins all the time. So uh, yeah, but there's this this struggle. We're going to talk about hell actually today. So I appreciate that Keegan as we think about that in relation to sin, but thanks for that drawing. Hopefully you're there in Romans 1. Let's start in verse 18 and just read to the end of the of the chapter. We want to hear from this is God's word, so let's listen to him attentively as we go through this. to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, the gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who do. Practice them. Let's pray again. Lord, we're in an important part. All of your scripture is important. This is your word before us. Would you be, as Mill prayed, would you be merciful and gracious to allow us to understand the depth of sin and depravity in mankind? Lord, there are sermons in, in Encouraging, and we ought to come out encouraged for the cross, for Christ. But let us get to the heart of what you're saying here in your word today. And we pray that by your spirit, only by your spirit, do you reveal these things to wayward hearts. And so we do pray that you'd open the eyes of our heart now as we meditate on this portion of your word. Help the preacher and help the hearer and the listener. We pray in your name, amen. In a way, this passage before us today uh, could be labeled, I might label it, a, a riveting documentary. And um, some of you hear the word documentary, you're like, that's boring. I don't watch documentaries at all. I'm, I'm with you. Usually, when a documentary comes on, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm prone towards preferring action suspense in a movie i'd prefer that but it doesn't take long and maybe you have the same experience when a documentary comes on that's that's at least somewhat interesting to you you're it's not too long and you're just drawn into the whole the whole story of it um why is that what makes what makes a great documentary i think in those good documentaries you learn you get you gain knowledge for for some topic maybe you don't know much about um we watched one of a guy climbing el capitan in yosemite you know climbing that big rock out there with no ropes on you know no no safety and it's kind of a story of his life it's a documentary it's interesting or we watched another one in the past about 9 11 and the events and kind of following what what did george w bush president bush at that time what was his life where did he go on that day and and it, they're interesting things were and uh More recently, looking at a struggling mall in Jasper, Alabama. Uh, They're just interesting. Documentaries. They open to us this bank of knowledge about certain events, humans, history, how something's made, you know, how's this made. Today, I want to bring you now to God's Word. Today, God's very Word, it's, it's like putting on a set of documentary glasses, and I hope I don't put you off by using that word, but it helps us, know something understand something and that is the world around us this is foundational and so helpful and such a gift of God to understand really the heart of man to peer into that and really to understand the heart of every man whether you know them or not you can be at the grocery store and look down the aisle and there's some some lady down there buying groceries and you could say, "I know something about your heart. You may not. It's probably good to not do that, but you could. You know something, and through this of God's word, we get these glasses, not just glasses to see the person down the aisle, the heart, or even the politician what's in the heart, or the activist or the, the convict, to help us see ourselves. and they're part this is part of Paul's building argument for why we need. Saving. Why do we need this power of God for salvation? Because we need saving from what we want. I think that's a key word to the the saving from what we want. Let's get into the text at verse 24, where it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Over and over here, maybe you saw it as we read through this particular portion, this phrase, God gave them up, or God gave them over. They were given over to the lust of the heart in verse 24. Uh, Verse 26, they were given over to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, a debased mind, this giving up. God's active here in this, this giving over, and man is active in the exchange of wants. So rather than wanting and desiring God, he's instead given over to the desires of his own heart. His heart, soul, mind, instead of loving God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, it has been turned, it's turned from the true creator to the love of self, self-lust, self-passion, a selfish mind. <clears throat> One writer quotes from C.S. Lewis here who describes the ones given over in this way, they are those who, quote, enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. It's worth reading again. He said, these given over are those who enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. What looked like, it, it looked like freedom to live without God's rule. I can live without His authority. I can do my own thing, satisfy my own cravings, and it enslaved them. Man got what he wanted. Luther writes of this bondage to sin. He says this, he says, Man, without the Holy Ghost and God's grace, man without that, can do nothing but sin. He proceeds therein without intermission, and from one sin falls into another. Here in verse 24, it's called "The lusts of the heart." God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. It means this. It can mean to have a, a desire I think that word "desire, want," is helpful, a desire for something forbidden, a craving is maybe another way to say it. The, the craving of the heart, the desire of the heart, it's the result of this exchange of God that we looked at even last time in His glory. Here we're going to see it's exchange of God, the God of creation, His truth for lies. And the result is this impurity, this immorality, the dishonoring of our bodies, which I think then it's expanded in, in verses 26 and 27. We're going to look at that more, but let's look at verse 25 first before we get there. And it says this. Why? Because... Why are they giving over? Why are these lusts of the hearts? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In verse 23, we saw they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, this undestructible God. They exchanged that glory for images of creation, temporary. Here they exchange truth, the truth of God. Who is truth? God is. We heard Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. They exchanged that for a lie, a falsehood, something counterfeit. Very interesting. Isaiah 44 puts it this way. And it describes those who take a piece of wood and they use part of it to cook their meal, to warm themselves by the fire. And the other part is made into a little g, God, into an idol. And Isaiah 44 just brings this out. in in Looking at this person who gets the wood and, yeah, I'm going to warm myself, cook my dinner, and worship this thing. It says there, They know not, nor do they discern, for He has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burn in the fire. I also break... Baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Verse 20 of Isaiah 44 says, He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? God in his judgment and wrath, he has blinded eyes and hearts he's not unjust in this man in fact is the one who has walked away and abandoned and sought after the lie instead of God and these ones it's described this this think of it they're feeding on ashes probably your parents' kids would not recommend you try this you can just taste the drug the What kind of meal are ashes it's terrible and that's that's what they're that's what they're feeding on they don't know it they don't realize this lie in their hand instead of them being those in awe and worshiping and serving the creator they'd rather bow and serve creation i'll take the lie instead of the truth you notice though in the midst of verse 25 at the end paul breaks into praise of this creator it's a like Paul just can't help it. I mean there, there's this talk of futile thinking, foolishness, exchange and Paul just just kind of stops and erupts in the praise of the creator. He's not a temporary idol. He's not ashes. He's infinitely more and he's blessed and he's blessed forever. He will never turn to ashes. So Paul worships. He's blessed. And so verse 26 though follows the results of this exchange of truth for a lie. I'm going to read uh, 26 through 27 here. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Once again, God's gave them up. He's giving them over to what now? Dishonorable passions, i.e., strong desires. Once. Those who exchange God's glory, they exchange God's truth. They thus exchange natural relations for unnatural. There's a beautiful truth that God has designed men and women for natural, monogamous marriage, relations that are good and beautiful and right and represent the gospel, Paul would say. But here is a contradiction to what is natural. It's homosexuality among men and women. Unless we think it's some unwanted arrangement. No, they are consumed. Men are said to be consumed with passion for one another. Doug Moo writes this. Paul uses strong language to characterize male homosexuality. Quote, they burned in their desire for one another, men with men. Hear these words again and again? Passion, desire, want. You see how much of a heart issue all of this is? It's in the heart. This is not just environmental or a society thing. Or uh, how you were raised. Those things may affect. They may influence. But it's, it's truth. There's this truth of God that's been exchanged. And so this heart is free to want that which is not natural. Now, all that said, I want to step back briefly and remind us of the context of this letter. What's the context? This, this was not written in the year... 2022 in the United States of America. And we might go, well, it sure seems very current, and it sure does. This was written in 57 AD to the people where? In Rome. I found an interesting footnote going along looking at certain commentaries. Leon Morris has a commentary, and he puts this in a footnote. I thought it was quite interesting. <clears throat> He says Barclay. I think that's another commentator. Barclay makes the point that what Paul says is all documented in Roman writers. Quote, There's nothing that Paul said about the heathen world that the heathen moralist had not themselves already said. And vice, that is wicked behavior, and vice did not stop with the crude and natural vices. Society from top to bottom was riddled with unnatural vice he adds this interesting statistic. 14 out of the first 15 Roman emperors were homosexuals. 14 out of 15. The stunt news from today, 2022, is AD 57, and we know it goes further back, don't we? It says this also, that the Romans, this culture would have preferred this kind of love to heterosexual love. So, yes, these are new days for our country, newer. I mean, it's been coming, right? But seeing things historically is so helpful to go, this is really nothing new. This goes back. And it goes back, you could mention Sodom and Gomorrah and, and back. The evil of men's heart, it's been around all the time. We're just seeing it more and more in our day. Which makes me ask, what about our day? Is there a way to think through this onslaught of sexual perversion in our, in our day, this LGBTQ, Y, W, and so on and so on? And the letters will keep going. When men and women, when they abandon God and His true designs, these letters are going to just, that's, I, I don't know, maybe that, I haven't looked, that's maybe why there's a plus. It's just going to keep going. There's no blocking it. There's no backstop other than God's gracious hand to to any other unnatural relations that can take place. Where years from now, sadly, we might look back and go, that was more, it's not more, but it just keeps going down. Because of this topic, it's important, it's pertinent here I do want to just come back a little, little bit next week. So we're going uh, to go back to this just a little bit next week. We looked at this, uh, not this last fall, but fall it would have been of 2020 uh, in our Sunday school class on homosexuality and thinking through this. But I want to do it again just, just briefly next week as we're, we just come to it in Romans. And I think it's, it's okay. It's so prevalent. It's, it's so out there to help us think through it so we'll come back to this section take a little bit more time next week to think on that hopefully be grounded through the scriptures as to what they teach and as well as God's good design what he has rightly designed for men and women but before we move on looking at verse 28 there is a nagging question here in verse 27 at the end and it's, it's this due penalty receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error and the question, you know, what is this? What's this penalty? I'll just say I'm not altogether clear on everything what it could be. I've got, I've got four thoughts on this. First one, I think, maybe your mind, maybe it, it goes here, it's easy maybe to read in here, well, the, the HIV, the AIDS crisis, that's this, that's this penalty. It could be part of it, but that's a relatively recent development. Um, but there could. Some sort of disease brought on by these unnatural relations connected to the sin. I mean, you picture the drunk driver who drives off the road and dies. There's a result of that, the cause and effect going on. But it seems there's there's more than just simply the physical penalty. Consider Jude, verse 7, makes these connections of cause and effect for these ungodly people who deny Jesus Christ. He says this, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire kind of sounds like what we're reading right here in romans they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire now there was there was certainly isn't that interesting the punishment of eternal fire there was the physical fires of sodom jude calls it eternal So whatever disease may occur, whatever temporary effect, there is an eternal punishment, and that's at another level. Perhaps, thirdly, perhaps the penalty is, perhaps it's just the guilt of knowing, knowing the right thing and yet going against that truth. I think that's what was brought out in our, who we watched, uh, Joe Dallas in our Sunday school class. Certainly there might be physical penalty of this world, but how much more this weight of sin in the sinner's life and heart, although, remember what we read here? Although they knew God, they did not honor Him. that has got to carry some guilt with it. However you put that guilt aside. Who can know what sort of internal guilt, the remorse, the impurity in the heart is in one so out of line with what God has created and the one who's abandoned it. Now lastly, I would just point out, <clears throat> maybe in a fourth spot, something else here, that these ones we read about, they were consumed with passion for one another. Consumed with passion for one another. This passion and desire, it's its only temporary. It, it will not last. In fact, because it's outside of God's design, it's a counterfeit passion. The, the real penalty is that their passions have been blinded to the greatest delight the greatest desire being god himself and they're consumed with these other passions think about the loss when those passions take us towards sin any sinner what are we missing out on psalm 16:11 tells us what we're missing out on it talks about in god's presence there is fullness of joy it says at your right hand are pleasures forevermore the penalty is a horrible exchange rate trading eternal pleasures for earthly passions that bring guilt they don't last they bring physical harm they bring eternal harm the eternal punishment of eternal fire we'll look more at this section next week maybe that gives us at least some help towards trying to understand this penalty Verse 28 introduces our final God gave them up. There's one more. This is the third one. God gave them up. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, the wording here, it's intriguing. These sinful ones, they did not, I've got the ESV here, they did not see fit. To acknowledge God. Another way of translating it, another translator, uh, I think it said it this way. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They concluded God's just not worth the effort. They abandoned the very one who created them and who knows best. best. And what, what was the result of that? That here God gave them up to a, in the ESV at least, it says, a debased mind. You could literally translate this an un fit mind. They didn't see fit to acknowledge God. So what did God give them? An unfit mind. We've heard about unfit. Somebody unfit for duty or unfit for an office. Those sorts of things are, are thrown out. These ones were made unfit for life under the Lord to glorify Him. They were unfit. And thus they do what ought not to be done. Del Tackett describes it. I don't know if he's describing this this verse in particular but he's talked about us living in the land of naught. the land of naught. that's the land of no ought and i love how he puts those together is that not true we live in the land of there's no ought i ought to do this i ought i ought it's gone you you ought to do whatever you whatever feels good do whatever comes to mind be free It's the land of no ought. We've lost the ought. So when I make truth my truth, and my wants, they trump anything else. And I walk away from what ought to be done. I'm unfit. Instead, mankind serves me instead of God. And so verses 29 through 31 here catalog these sins of a debased mind here. Let's just run through them and just... Ask yourself if any of these come home to you. Please don't think of your neighbor or your husband or your wife or your kids. Yeah, Oh yeah, I know people like this. What about you? Verse 29, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You know, all the, all the foolish, faithless, heartless, it's not so off the way that the Greek words here are have some sort of rhythm to them. The first There's a first set, second set, third set through here. We won't get into all these, but notice here, just notice this that Paul has dealt with and we will look at next week, the sin of the heart of homosexuality. These these unnatural relations. It's here. And it's not the only thing here. He's dealing with 21, if you count them up, 21 other debased and unrighteous acts. And again, we're not taking time to go over each one. You could think on each one. But there's an exchange of God's truth for the desire really here, I think, of self. There's a progression here. There's suppression of truth, verse 18, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They exchange glory for creation. They exchange truth for a lie. They exchange natural relations for unnatural. They exchange righteous desires. And here's a list of someone whose life and desires is about them. Coveting. What's that about? Me, I want that. Malice, don't treat me that Envy. Deceit to get maybe what's good for me. Slanderly, I look boastful. So God's wrath, it is revealed on every man's conscience. And I think it's seen in this onslaught, these 21 here, even of sin and impurity. They are given over. Verse 32 closes this chapter saying this. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. What does this tell us? They know. They know. The the, the one down the aisle, the one around every human heart knows they know they're without excuse they know what they deserve for all of this and yet in spite of that still act on and approve that which is contrary to god there's no such thing here as neutrality with a holy and righteous god you either bow creation bows and worship to their creator or they're bowing and worship to the creation and abandoning him for their own desires their loss and facing eternal separation from God. Death. This is more than some one-hour TV documentary. This is the world around us and the heart within us. The heart without a work of God's grace. And those face the same condition, given up by God, not to do what we don't want, given up by God to do exactly what we do want. I want to make what might sound, it sounds controversial to me, I don't know necessarily why, but I think it's true. Maybe I've heard it somewhere before. To think about this, no one is in hell. No one is in the eternal fire and punishment who didn't want to be there. No one's there who didn't want that. Now, They may not, once there, they may not want that eternal suffering. But thinking rightly, what is hell? It's in fact the gaining of what man, without God's work, what they want. And what is that? Separation from God. Get me away from that authority and that creator to do my own thing. You want that? Have all you want for eternity. Full speed. Unless God does a work in this heart, we as well, we are full speed to getting what we want. And we need saving from what we want. Ezekiel 36 speaks of this saving in terms of a new heart, a new spirit given by God. I think we call that being born again. That God removes this heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh. Not not a flesh in a bad way. Flesh, I think the idea of softening. A softening towards the Lord. To want Him. To desire the Lord. To want what He wants. That He changes that around. To want Him. And God does this by His Spirit as an act of grace. He opens the eyes of the spiritually blind To see their sin, and then to see the Savior Jesus Christ. I pray for each one of us here that God would so open the eyes of your heart to see the lostness, to see the lie, and the waywardness of your own wants and desires, to turn that towards wanting Him, desiring after God. Let's pray. I don't normally, um, we don't normally do this and I'm not asking for hands. I'm just asking to just take a moment to think because we're so busy and we will get up from here and we'll go to Lama and we'll go, we'll, we'll do this, the Hawaii, the luau thing and just take a second, take a minute and just consider this passage and consider the want of your own heart and just spend a moment with the Lord to consider that and where you're at, where you're wanting, and to pray a bit. And then I'll close this here. god unless you do a change in our hearts we are full speed to getting what we want separation from you lord i pray for any in this room that have not been born again they have not submitted to your lordship to come to you repenting of sin saying i'm this one it's describing me and looking to jesus i pray today they would know the salvation the forgiveness not separation but presence with You forever in eternal joy. And I pray any of us, Lord, we could say, yeah, we know Jesus. We've walked with Him. We even read the Bible this morning on our own. Lord, would You continue to work in our hearts and shave off the sinful man to put off what is sinful, to put on Christ the joy of coming to You, You who will never cast us out when we come to You. So, Lord, refresh us. Refresh our desires to want you, to desire you who are worthy of all that forever, all our worship forever. Guide us, Lord, as we think on these things. And I pray this is not just a a momentary desire, but you continue to grow this on Monday morning and on Wednesday afternoon and through Thursday and through our lives. Mature us in the faith to look to Jesus beautiful and true who we want pray for your guiding hand your miracle working hand in our heart to do this in Jesus name you've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota